source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This as a first place because of it telling us fundamental things, fundamental connection between the tongue and the heart and the fundamental destiny that the tongue can uh, that brings in people's lives. So <clears throat> This, I think, is one of the most critical passages as Jesus teaches here. And the context, we don't have time to consider in depth, but uh, the context is when he has uh, healed and has been accused of being of the devil. And he has just pronounced in verse 31 uh, that they have pronounced sin and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and that that kind of blasphemy blasphemy will not be forgiven, which is a sermon in itself. Uh, just to let you know, it's in that context of this conflict as he has healed the man with the withered hand, and the Jewish leaders come against him and accuse him of being of Satan, that he healed as a result of Satan. And Jesus says, this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit who has actually been the one to do the healing. So in that context, speaking particularly of their hypocrisy of being outwardly good and yet hear these words, these evil words belch forth uh, from these supposedly righteous leaders, it's in that context that Jesus says these things. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. John the Baptist used this phrase, and later when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 23, pronouncing curses upon the Jewish leaders, he uses this phrase. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good? When you are evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Thus the reading of God's holy and errant word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us that we may understand your word, believe your word, be drawn after Christ through your word, be transformed by your word. O oh, Holy Spirit, you who gave this word, so apply the word to our hearts that we may become fruitful Christians for your glory for our happiness and our good, for Jesus' sake. Amen. First thing we see in these first 
verses 33 through 35. These first three verses really hit on a a common theme that uh, your tongue reveals your character. Your tongue reveals your character. This analogy of the fruit and the tree is one that he Jesus used several times, uh, first in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it's taken from breeding and cultivation, so that if you breed and a certain tree that produces, say, apples, and those apples end up not being so good, well, that's not the kind of tree you want. You want to breed until you get a tree that produces really sweet, crisp, wonderful apples, like the honey crisp, which I've recently discovered. Um, that's a great apple if you hadn't tried it. But that's, that's an example of a good fruit, you see. And sometimes you get an apple and the, th- the skin's so tough and the, it's, the, the apple, if you consistently eat that brand of apple, you think this just isn't as good an apple as this other tree. Well, he's talking in rather stark terms of a tree that produces fully bad fruit or a tree that produces good fruit. So get the tree right, Jesus says, and the fruit will be right. So that our words reflect what we are. Our words really show what we really value. It spills out in our words, especially in everyday interaction and emotional reaction with people we're closest to or situations that pull us out of ourselves or catch us off guard. Not so much perhaps when you say, well, he's preparing to say something a certain way, maybe to impress someone. Even then, of course, even lying or falsely flattering words, if you could see what they really are, reveal the heart, they reveal a liar, although people might not see that. But the words show what the person is. Every man's heart is a storehouse, and your words show what you've stored there, so to speak. You pull out what is there. And, of course, the, our lifetime reactions even to things begin to create a storehouse. How we handle our pain and hurts and disappointments begin to form a storehouse of how we will react and how we will respond and speak to people in various situations. How we ourselves receive comfort and hope from God's Word and the experience of redemption and salvation. How we've experienced a good conscience through grace and we've experienced God's forgiveness and love. This creates a certain storehouse out of which our language changes itself. Our words are transformed. How His Word affects us and how the experiences of His presence in worship, in fellowship, in ministry, in providence, in all of these ways, there develops a storehouse out of which we our words come. Or the opposite bad things, bad reactions, focusing on the wrong things, pouring our, our minds and hearts over things that are not profitable and not good. So that each man kind of puts up his own fund out of which he draws. Whatever kind of person you are, it comes out sooner or later in 
your words. So that the words betray what the heart is full of, Nolan puts it. The words betray what the heart is full of. Spurgeon says a man's language tells you from what country he is. You can tell, hey, you're from Mexico, right? Well, your language tells it. And so our language. A good illustration, I think, is a ham sandwich. Let's suppose you have a ham sandwich and here's a person that's got a certain kind of cupboard, you know, a certain kind of pantry and refrigerator full of certain things. And so ham sandwich comes out and it's got crusty, stale, molded bread, limp, wilted, brown lettuce, rotten tomatoes, and a rancid ham that you could smell even as it comes toward the table. So the sandwich is made of what was in the pantry and what was in the refrigerator versus fresh focaccia bread, crispy lettuce, tomatoes right off the vine, red all the way through, bursting with flavor, and the finest ham cooked to perfection, cut right off the ham, right onto your sandwich. That kind of pantry and refrigerator made that kind of sandwich. So that's what Christ is saying. Your words, in a sense, are the sandwich, and they're drawn from whatever the heart is full of. So your words tell what your character is. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And so Spurgeon says, we may, when we're convicted of unjust speech, shield ourselves behind the notion that our bark was worse than our bite and that we merely said so-and-so. We hardly meant it to be taken so seriously, but the plea will not avail us. We say the things we do say because that is what we are like. Okay? And that, it's very good to help to, to begin to admit that to yourself. I said that nasty thing because that's what I'm like. It revealed my heart. I was short and terse with my wife. I was sullen. I was mean because I'm mean. <laughs> that's what, that's what you, you're showing yourself. And then if the situation gets really tense, you say, well, I was tired and I was this and I was that and that. I know. And so more of you came out. We don't, we like, well, that really wasn't. No, more of you came out. Jesus had a lot of pressure. He was dying. He had the worst pain in the world. He never sinned. Pain doesn't make you sin. Pressure doesn't make you sin. It just begins to show what's there. And it comes out so often in our words. So your tongue reveals your character. Secondly, your tongue will give an account. I'm personifying your tongue, of course, here. Your tongue will give an account. As he says there in verse 36, I'll tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. This word account means to pay in full what one owes. So the idea is kind of figuratively to pay in full what you owe of your life story to God. Uh, so what you did with your life, for good or bad, what you did with what God entrusted you, he's given us life and we owe him a good use of it and we'll be held accountable for that life. But in particular here, he's given you a tongue that's capable of incredible good. In any and every circumstance, you can be an amazing blessing to the people around you you'll be held accountable for that incredible instrument that's been put in your hands, so to speak. You will give an account 
And then this word careless, it, the way it's translated many times, it almost seems to mean every casual word. But the word is, uh, it, it, there's a Greek word, E-R-G-O-N, that means work. Okay, this word is A-R-G-O-N. A is like the uh, opposite of work. So it's the way you describe a lazy person or an unproductive field or uh, money that's not producing anything, uh, something that is um, totally useless. Uh, it means to, to live without labor, to be slothful, shunning the labor that one should uh, perform, unprofitable, worthless. For instance, in Matthew 20, when Jesus is telling a parable, he says, they went to others standing idle in the marketplace. Well, it's the same word, idle, here. Or in First Timothy, women that go around as being idle gossips. What's that word, idle? Or the familiar phrase for some of you, James 2.10, faith apart from works is useless. There's that word again. So he's, he's saying that the point is our tongues are meant to be used for positive good. And here's, you know, we talk about sin that is uh, sin that you commit and then sin because of omission, sin of commission, sin of omission. So we do certain things wrong, but there are a lot of things that we should do that we don't do. We don't tend to think of that side of things. And that seems to be what is being emphasized here. Uh, for all the careless, worthless, idle, unproductive things that we say. And you're thinking, <laughs> you, you You're watching everything I say? Every, every word? Every word supposed to count for something? Every word? <laughs> Lord, I just say a lot of stuff just to be saying. I mean, all that just has to go by the... No, no. Every single useless thing that you say, you will give an account for. As uh, one commentator says, a useless word is one that would have been better left unspoken. <laughs> useless. Offhand remarks serve the purpose of judgment in that they're better indicators of character many times than carefully designed statements. And so it means that even in our casual conversation, it needs to be pure and kind and well-intentioned and beneficial and encouraging. It's interesting in Proverbs ten nineteen we read this, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. <laughs> wow. That's how dangerous words are. That's how words tend to be. That's how easily they're misused and can hurt someone. He who restrains his lips is wise. It has that as a simple proverb. And I'm telling you, as a, I'm sure all of you are saying, I wish you would restrain some of your lips from the pulpit. Uh, I mean, some of your words from the pulpit. Um, and somebody that likes to talk, of course, this is particularly uh, a concern, but this is this. The real point here is that all of our words. It says, for instance, in Ephesians four twenty nine, which we will uh, touch on in more detail later. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is profitable for the moment, giving grace to those that hear. That's Paul's word. Let everything that comes out of your mouth 
be something that promotes grace in people's lives. I don't think that means that we can, you know, we cut down to 1% of everything we say and we can't just carry on. A, it's fine. How are you doing is a good question and telling about your day is a good thing. Everyday conversation is good and rich in its context, but it's saying that, uh, that all of your words are important. All of your words are important. So what we may take lightly will realize that they have meaning because they reveal what we really are. And how uh, Dixon, the Puritan writer, says, However little men esteem words, yet in God's balance they weigh not light. <laughs> I like the way he puts it. They weigh not light. So whatever men may think of their words, God respects those words. He thinks you are important. He really does. He thinks everything you say is important. You're not an un, just a nothing in God's eyes. He observes and takes notice of every single word you say, even the things you don't take notice of. And so, uh, one of the great distinctions of a human being and one of the ways we're most like God is this process by which we think and speak and communicate. That We're most like Him in that area. And so He observes most closely how we deal with that glorious gift that He has. And so that revealing your character and giving an account shows that in the third place your tongue determines your destiny, as he says in verse 37. By your words you'll be justified. By your words you will be condemned. And of course, as many other passages in the Bible, it almost appears that you're going to be judged purely on the basis of works. So if you say enough good things, you're going to heaven. If you say enough bad things, you're going to hell. But what it is saying is this, that your words will be of the utmost significance when judgment takes place because at judgment, what we are is what matters and what we are is revealed in our words. What you are, are you one who has been renewed by God's grace and is your life given up to God's will to be a reflection of His glory and love or not? And that will show itself in the very way you speak. And so, as Mounts says, out of a person's own mouth will come the words that condemn or acquit him or her. And Linsky says, by everything that we say from day to day, we are writing our own verdict for deliverance to us on Judgment Day. And I hope for you and for me that we begin to make every one of us take seriously everything we say, just like God is taking seriously everything we say. And asking that question, where is my heart? And beginning to ask the question in all of your communication, especially with those that you love, because... I've not been in an argument with anybody in this room except one person. You know who that is, don't you? Because she's the problem. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> at the most, at the very most, she could be half of the problem. And 
probably a lot less than that. And each one of you could say, yeah, there's one person. Maybe there's a few in here, but most of you could say, there's one person or a couple of people that I've had arguments with. And they're really the people that you've gotten closer to or you've done things with, or you've been thrown in together. Those are the people that really show what we are. Our children show who we are. Our family shows who we are. And so this is so, this is so good for us to see, wow, when I say that, what, what is going on in my heart? Why did I say that? Who am I? You see, it, it begs that question. Who am I that I said that? That's a good question. Not, oh, well, I just said it. No, who am I? What am I? God, work in my heart. That's why James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and we could put it in our terms, if anyone thinks he is a believer, a Christian, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's Christianity is worthless, James says. That's pretty clear cut. If your Christianity doesn't affect the way you talk, your Christianity is nothing. You don't really believe in Jesus Christ. You really have not been transformed by His grace if your tongue is unaffected by Christ. And that's why in Galatians chapter 5, when he is mentioning the words of the, uh, the, the works of the flesh, he begins with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery. He ends with drunkenness and orgies. What's in the middle of the sandwich? Everything to do with words. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. It's the sin of the tongue. And in Romans 3, when he's describing in a culmination the sin of mankind, when he says everybody has sinned, all people are in need of God's grace, no one understands, no one seeks for God, no one does good, and he begins to get specific. He says their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asp is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. First four things up to bat. The tongue, the tongue, the tongue, the tongue. And when Isaiah is convicted in Isaiah 6, before the majesty of God, he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so Paul says, you need more proof to know that we are riddled with sin. Look at how we speak to one another. Look at what we say. That tells the hotel right there. Well, fourthly, therefore, your tongue must be redeemed. It's just another part of redemption. It's another part of salvation. Ezekiel 36, in the New Covenant, the renewal of Israel, which ultimately is the renewal in Jesus Christ. In uh, Ezekiel 36, he says, I will take out your heart of stone and put a new heart within you. Oh, I will recreate your heart. You'll have a different heart, which will, what, give you a different tongue. That's where the transformation occurs. And, and that's why Jesus says here, you've got to make the tree good. 
Why do you make a tree good? God transforms us. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. He must transform me so that my tongue becomes an instrument of grace in his hand. He has to change me. It's redemption. It's not me saying, you know, I just got to watch what I say and maybe I go to heaven. I've got to be transformed from the inside out. God has to rescue me. And it's so glorious in that Isaiah 6 passage when he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, that a coal is taken and touched, touches his lips and he says, Your sin is forgiven. And here's a glorious thing. Then he says, I've got it work to do. Who will I send? And he says, Send me. He says, I will send you. Send him to what? To use his tongue. Isn't that glorious? It begins with, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And it ends with a man forgiven and transformed to use those lips to the glory of God. It's redemption. It's salvation. Changing us from the inside out so that we become the righteous. Truly the righteous. So Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Our tongues, yes, can be most destructive, but it can be an incredible fountain of good at all times, in every circumstance, with every person. Our tongues can be a means of bringing life and grace to people around us. The most powerful tool for good, and God will give you that. How glorious that God will change us in that way and that each one of us, look at this, 300 plus people with instruments to do good every day of our lives. That's the way in which we will be like God, whose word is pure, perfect, powerful and rich and life-giving. And we can be like him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that in Romans, the message of talking about how the poison of asp is under our lips and how wicked we have been in the use of our tongue, that the whole point is to make us all stand before you and realize, I have no hope apart from his forgiveness. For us all to realize the things I have said from my childhood to now, if you string them together, oh, Lord God, we're hopeless. And to think that my tongues were to be used every day for the whole of our lives for good. And we can't imagine the useless things that have poured out of our mouths for years. Lord, we have no hope to stand in our own righteousness. We have no hope except that Jesus Christ has died for us. No hope except that He has been judged for our abuse of our tongues. And that His righteousness will clothe us, though we have to stand with Isaiah and say, Woe is me. I'm a man, a woman, a boy, a girl of unclean lips. Lord, you, through your blood, must take the coal and touch our lips. Lord, through your work on the cross, you must make us clean. 
and we will be clean through your grace. We confess this to you, that you are our only hope. And then, Lord, you are our only hope, not only for forgiveness, but for transformation. That you will give us a new heart. That you will take out this stony, unresponsive heart, this cold, unloving heart. And that you will put into us a heart of flesh, a heart that is warm and responsive and life-giving and will pour forth from our mouths good to those around us. We thank you for a salvation that includes every part of our being, including our words. We rest in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?